welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I am here with Tom. Tom, how have you been? Oh, I had just been peachy, and we are recording this just at the, the start of my own version of spring break. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Enjoy your time off. I know you're, get, you're, you're traveling home to see your, your folks uh, for the Easter weekend, so that will be nice. Tell them hello from me. I will. Uh, in fact, uh, if you recall, I was kind of hoping we could do this one in person, but we're not quite there yet. No, I got another few weeks to go before I am fully vaccinated. After that, the next time you're in town, we will absolutely record in person. I will set the uh, the Time Shifter studio back up. <laughs> <laughs> That means one extra microphone, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I look forward to the opportunity for us to do that in person at some point. Uh, I don't have any news or anything to talk about. Uh, nothing's really, nothing's come up in the last couple of weeks since we recorded last that I can think of. Today is uh, March 31st, a day that is exciting for you because of the uh, launch of uh Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, uh, excited, yes, but I'm not <laughs> sure where I'm going to see the damn thing. Uh, and since I'm about to leave town, uh, it's not likely I'm going to get to watch it till I at least get back here. So, but interestingly enough, as it came out, uh, I saw one little post uh, that the director of the movie has been tapped to do a Thundercats film. I did. I think that news just came out today as we were recording. Yes. Yeah. He's talking about really like throwing everything at this one. So it's going to be sort of a mix of animated CGI live action or something. I mean, it was like he's really plans on creating something like we've not seen before. Well, and that's one of our uh, our 80s properties that just has not gotten any any real love since the original i mean there was a there was a attempt at a there was actually a really good rebooted cartoon uh, on mm-hmm. for a while but that kind of died on the vine much like the uh the series the original series did but uh but yeah no no conversation around live action that i know of until right now <laughs> yeah so that would be interesting i i kind of like i like the look uh, I guess of Thundercats, yes. you know the whole cat themed and the uh, you know the 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 big tank and all that stuff. I I I appreciated the look of the thing. Um, some of the stories, I think, well, there was a it was an '80s cartoon, was, so yeah. they were exactly what you expect they to be. But 
yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing something, someone trying to actually take a serious look at that and actually do sort of a um, gritty is kind of overused, but something along those lines. Well, and it, it, interestingly enough, of all things, uh, this past Sunday I caught on a PBS channel. Um, they were uh, they were essentially doing a short documentary on comic book movies, or, or yeah, the comic books' influence on cinema and the evolution of comic book movies. And one of the things that they kept noting in there is. The best way for a comic book movie or any kind of genre piece that had has source material is to forget that it came from somewhere and not do your own thing. Um, hmm. So if you take something like a Thundercats, you need to take into account what made it something that people loved. So I'll be right. curious how they actually translate that into a a live action kind of situation. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what they come up with. Yep. Hopefully they come up, hopefully they can pull something off and it'll, it'll, something will be fun. I'm just dying to see a grown man looking like a cat, uh, actually calling thunder, thunder, thunder cats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it'll just be worth it just for that. <laughs> Yeah, they, maybe they'll leave that behind. <laughs> they'll come up with something different for that one. Uh, well, the the newer cartoon did kind of leave that behind, so they matured it a yeah. bit. So, I, I, mm-hmm. I, it'll just be fun either way. It's a, it's nice to see something not the usual co- coming our way. Yes, exactly. I guess we should talk about some films since we're Is here. Is that what we do? It is. It's what we try to do. Uh, yeah, I think we, we went through this last time. <laughs> um, so we had we got a hold of another screener. Yes, we did. This one coming, it was a foreign film, a Spanish-language film coming from Chile uh, called Embryo. Uh, this one is being released here in the States on April 6th, 2021. You have been It was warned. directed by Patricio <laughs> Patricio. Uh, Valerio, oh, I'm going to butcher this. Directed by Patricio Valerio, I can't say it. I'm looking at it and it's just like I'm stumbling it with my tongue. Valadares, that's that's let's try that, Valadares. Directed and written by Patricio Valadares along with uh, Baron Keating.
This is about a couple camping in a Chilean forest who find themselves playing a part of an extraterrestrial plan to breed a new life form. The woman is attacked and impregnated with something, something that forces her to crave human flesh. Her fiancé tries to protect her and get her help while a police detective who has been investigating other apparent alien experiments begins to track them following the woman's body count. Uh, this was apparently shot as a television pilot, uh, but its production was severely hindered by the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic. That'll nip a few things in the bud. <laughs> yeah, which, after reading that, I didn't know that until after I watched the film. So having read that, I can kind of give it a little bit of excuse, but maybe that's a little bit of a reason why I found this thing so entirely disjointed and just not well done. And maybe it's just because it wasn't done. (laughs) Perhaps uh, like I I was noting as you were, doing your very well uh, read synopsis there. The synopsis you've done uh, is essentially covers the full story in the length of time that you read that. (laughs) Meaning, (laughs) and, and, and for those of you listening, so that I could get my point across, the length of time that it took him to read that is the length of time that was spent with that subject matter altogether. There was like several stories kind of sort of stitched together in a non-linear fashion. And non-linear storytelling is something that can work. We've seen it done really well. I applaud it when it does. It's actually one of my more favorite ways to get a film. Absolutely. But I think you need to be a more competent uh, director to pull it off than what we see here as an example. Uh, this is just, it's just confusing. Mm-hmm. You're watching it and then suddenly you're like, what the hell's going on? Oh, okay, now we're back. Wait, what? Um, just when you think you may be getting an idea of what's going on, it switches gears again and it leaves you even more confused. And through the whole thing, my first thought, or my thought when I watch this thing is, there is nothing original in this film. I was really hoping for. Well, I, I mentioned it to you. I think um, when I when I passed you on the uh, on the link to the screener that the trailer looked like something that I've probably seen before. But being a foreign film and everything, sometimes they find a way to give it a little bit of an edge sure. that may, maybe something you hadn't thought of before, and maybe the trailer just wasn't that great of a trailer and maybe there's a lot more to this film there's absolutely not more any more to this film i mean it is nothing we haven't seen before and it was shot in a way that the whole time i'm watching it thinking someone shot this the director's behind the camera and saying to himself yeah i've seen this done like this before it's just him mimicking every movie director he's ever watched a film from right and he kind of just jumbled it all together um and not that we haven't seen the premise of aliens coming to make babies or whatever before variations on the theme um this is a movie that has chosen embryo as its title and that to be the thrust of it and that seemed to have very little to do with the actual film 
uh, like that premise is there, it's present, but that's not what we explore. We explore the fact that this woman has essentially become zombie-like. She eat, she craves flesh. Yeah, I I believe that there's a premise here. And honestly, most of what I get, the whole idea about the aliens trying to create a life form and everything, I gathered that from reading other synopsis. Sure. Because honestly, I don't know if you could really get that from this film. I feel like that's something like the directors of the production team put together and sent out and said, this is what it's about. And you're thinking, thank you for telling me because I couldn't figure that out by watching your movie. You had to read the opening portion. They, they kind of, yeah, in, in the opening sequence where you just get um, in Spanish uh, and thankfully with the, the subtitles, you get the readout of it and they tell you the premise and then show you a movie that doesn't fit with the premise. Okay, thanks. I completely forgot that they even did that. <laughs> I couldn't remember where I got it from. To be the dumb American, I don't like reading my films most of the time. I, I, I legitimately wish I knew more languages so that I could truly um, take away the, the level of acting because I find when you're re reading subtitles, you're not paying attention to to what's going on as much because you want to be sure that you're reading so you know what's going on. Um, so you're not giving the actors their full due. Um, but that said, I was worried about uh, how much attention I'd have to pay to keep up with the subtitles. And then my aversion to it was alleviated when the only words that were said during the entire film were, Evelyn! Because... <laughs> <laughs> there is almost no dialogue in this film. <laughs> very, very little. Uh, there's, uh, there's. I think there's plenty of dialogue, but none of it really adds up to anything. No. But, I, but I was saying, though, the, the whole premise, what they were trying to convey, if you sit back and really think about what they were trying to t do, I, I think after days of mulling it over in my head, it was like, okay... They're trying to say that something that happened a long ago that you, you see played back in this sort of found footage style um, video record that this police detective is, is reviewing. You start getting the idea of what they're doing, that aliens, you know, years ago impregnated and they had this, but the there's this new life form, but the life form wasn't ready. All this stuff. It sounds like it's a great idea. Right. I love this idea. Uh, and I think again, that's something that's also we've we've probably seen before. Mm -hmm. um, we usually come into the story when, uh, well, my God, it's practically a uh, fifth element <laughs> with the perfect life form and everything. Right. Um, this it just doesn't convey it well enough. Like I said, I had to sit there and like you read the synopsis in the beginning, okay, then you you have to mull this movie over in your head like for days ago. All right, I think I see what they were trying to say, <laughs> you know. But there is no no film you, could you say this even uh, fits even better is something's lost in translation. <laughs> One can only hope that it was lost in translation. Uh, uh, but like you said, there there's a good premise here, but it got lost in them wanting to do a monster movie. Um, they they became very and. Actually, I'll give him a little credit on some of this. Some of the creepy factor was 
sufficiently creepy. Like, uh, but uh, it made more sense as uh, just a monster movie than it did an alien impregnation trying to create a new species to to master over the world, which is part of what's in that opening synopsis. Um, right. They don't tell that story, though, and I'm always a little... I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a moment about alien films. Anyways, this wanted to be a monster movie. It makes no sense that, once again, you have alien creatures that seem to do unintelligible things. They grunt and growl when, when you hear them at all or wiggle their tentacles at you and produce offspring that cause mothers to become <laughs> become cannibals needing to feast on uh, whoever's in front of them. Like, it doesn't sound like the behavior of a race sophisticated enough to get to another planet. <laughs> so the story I wanted to see more of was... In the, in the flashback or whatever, where you had the, the young family with the young girl that kept drawing pictures of aliens. Yeah. And, but she was like, she seemed to be a, a completely normal, healthy young girl, but she was a fixated with drawing aliens. And then you see towards the end when something is trying to get into the house and the mother's like, tell him, tell him it's not time and all that. They're like, I want that movie. Give me that whole movie. Why is that only 15 minutes of this movie? I want that whole movie. No, I completely agreed. That's the part that's disappointing about it is there's there's a few elements in here. Again, pick a movie and go with it. But pick one and go with it. Uh, <laughs> um, there, like you said, that, that little segment... That was good. That was something that you wanted to see the story develop around that. If you want to get into the the creepy monster does something to this woman and now she's feeding on people. I'm okay with that. Go with that. Um, each of these little things, I, I got the impression, uh, again, the non-linear storytelling. You have to wait till you get to the end to realize that the dudes, the the, the one dude that is pointing a gun at the other guy is some detective and all of this is stuff that he's been amassing i think you even told me very much like a fox molder from the x-files he's just been putting it all together because he is building a case of oddities that seems to be going somewhere and he thinks he's going to get his shot at the aliens that are doing all this um, it's just, it, it's so disjointed and so herky-jerky, and each one looks like its own independent film unto itself. Like you said, it seemed like a lot of different styles. Uh, uh, the, 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 the little film crew trying to, doing something with the guy that seemed not quite right in his head with his girlfriend or whatever, that smacked of almost like a Blair Witch Project kind of feel to mm -hmm. it uh this whole right amateurs out in the field trying to do something and then it goes horribly wrong um right and it then feels like it goes absolutely nowhere and you feel like you've just wasted the last 10 minutes of this film 
Right, and uh, actually, when you get to it, and if this is the detective putting his case together after even seeing that, I still don't know what that necessarily had to do with the rest of the film. There didn't seem to be an alien element to any of it, so he seemed like a just a mass murderer. <laughs> okay, but yeah, no, and then, and then the part that we're we're talking about where there's the little girl and the mom is trying to protect her from obviously the the coming alien looking to claim her and all that um i mean that felt like oh what there's a movie that i remember called like the fourth kind um Mm. that that had that whole the alien coming for us kind of creepy feel that was a good yeah it's just you are dead on it when you say that he's got a lot of little the director had influences from other places and put them all yeah. in the same Well, film. even not even just in the story elements, but just in how he shot the film. Mm. I mean, the the lingering shots of water going down a drain, yeah. <laughs> followed by lingering shots of water going down the <laughs> toilet drain. Uh, you know, the blood being washed away by the water, and it's just you could sit there and go, okay. This is Tarantino. <laughs> this is Abrams. Oh, Bergman. Very, yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it has that feel of, okay, so you've seen a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thought you'd... That's what, I, that's what I mean. I thought you'd have a crack at making your own. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's what I mean by the whole, you know, I've seen it done like this before attitude. The entire film, that's how it's shot. And it's like, yes, yes, you have. Do you have anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've seen theirs. They're good. They, they, they've, they've right. honed their craft. Um, where, where, where right. is yours? <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it some amount of uh, leeway because maybe, like I said, this wasn't really truly a finished project. He took what he had and assembled it, and maybe I, I, just, I don't, I don't know why he even bothered if he couldn't put something cohesive together maybe you should have just taken the loss maybe it was a financial decision maybe it was contractually obligated to produce something I I don't know this is where I'll err on the side of uh, the creative again he's already done more than I'm capable of doing Um, and if you've put that much time and effort into it, you just feel like getting something done. And so it's not great. I'm, I, I'd like to see him try again uh, under better circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's some good potential here. It just doesn't come together in this film. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, you know me. I, I, I loathe to actually bash a filmmaker sure. or his, or their film. Um and he apparently has got a name for himself for some of his previous work. And I maybe it'd be worth trying to seek some of that out. Um, but sure. as far as this being the only example of, of that I've seen, it's just, yeah, it doesn't make me want to go see anything in the future. <laughs> but maybe I'll go back and see something he's done in the past. And if those of you out there would like to see us do more in-depth, find ways to... Uh, 
turn this into income so we have time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I I enjoy anybody's effort. Uh, this is clearly shows uh, somebody had a love for something that it just didn't come together, and I'd love to see more. Uh, he's not. Uh, it wasn't. I won't even go as far as to say it was awful. It's just not coherent. You know, incoherent is really the best description of this film, yeah. unfortunately. Unfortunately. And you saying that it was supposed to maybe be the lead-in to uh, a series, I-, I could see where maybe there were elements of that. And anytime you have something that you're hoping to kick off more of, by definition, it's unfinished. Yeah, that's my only thought is that maybe he had lots of segments for completely different stories Mm -hmm. or different parts of the same story and then found himself left without all the connective tissue and then had to sort of force it all together. And that's why it feels the way that it is. I I have heard or not heard. I've I've read from other interviews and I kind of have to agree with it that this film was really properly named being Embryo because this truly feels like something that isn't quite fully right. formed. <laughs> it's it's the beginning of something. It, it, it is unfortunately when you're producing a film you want a you you want a, a beginning, middle and an end and I don't know that we got that. Well, I don't have anything else to say on embryo, so I think we will go ahead and uh, take a break here. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And we get back, we're jumping back into the 1970s TV movies, and we're looking at a little bit of childhood trauma for me. (laughs) We'll get into that. Uh, 1972's Gargoyles. My name is Adam. And I'm Nick. And this is the Bottom of the Stream podcast. A never-ending quest to find hidden movie gems on Netflix. (laughs) Uh, Every week we watch a random movie that we find on the stream and we talk about it for about an hour. Uh, Yep, as well as that we round up the news of the week and uh, we usually mention what we've been watching at the top of the stream. Yeah, so if you're into Netflix and you enjoy watching stuff on there, give us a listen. Join us aboard our podcast boat as we navigate the perilous water. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The devil was once the most favored of the host of angels serving the Lord. But pride welled in his breast. He thought it unseemly for him to serve. The devil and his band of followers who likewise suffered the sin of pride were defeated in battle by the Lord and his host and were banished to the outermost depths of hell never to know the presence of the Lord or look on heaven again. Smarting with his wounds, but all the more swollen with pride, the devil cried out from the depths, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. The devil proclaimed what was lost in heaven would be gained on earth. He said, my offspring, the gargoyles, will one day rule the Lord's works, earth and man. And so it came to pass that while man ruled on earth, the gargoyles waited, lurking, hidden from the light. Reborn every 600 years in man's reckoning of time, the gargoyles joined battle against man to gain dominion over the earth. In each coming, the gargoyles were nearly destroyed by men who flourished in greater numbers. 
Now it has been so many hundreds of years that it seems the ancient statues and paintings of gargoyles are just products of man's imagination. In this year, with man's thoughts turned toward the many ills he has brought upon himself, man has forgotten his most ancient adversary, the gargoyles. This originally aired as a CBS Tuesday night movie, November 21st, 1972. It stars Cornell Wilde as Dr. Mercer Boyley, and Jennifer Salt as his daughter Diana, and Bernie Casey is the gargoyle leader, but his voice was replaced by Vic Perrin. Uh, Vic Perrin may be best known for providing the control voice in the original version of the television series The Outer Limits. Thank you whatever bit of trivia who or person who wrote that bit of trivia because <laughs> for some reason this time watching the film I'm like that's he sounds real familiar <laughs> actually I caught the same bit place of trivia and, and I was thinking the exact same thing as I was watching it the other night I'm like I have heard that <laughs> voice before <laughs> <laughs> Anthropologist Dr. Bully and his daughter Diana are visiting New Mexico during research for Bully's next book when they visit Uncle Willie's Desert Museum. Willie wrote to Bully telling him about some potentially interesting artifacts to share with the doctor. While being shown an odd skeleton of some sort of creature, Dr. Bully initially thinks it's a fraud. But Willie's story and a savage attack on the shack by some green-scaled creatures that caused the death of Willie and nearly killed Bully and his daughter the doctor realizes there is something more going on. So it turns out an ancient race, a race of gargoyles, have awakened in the caves nearby. Their centuries-old struggle against man is set to begin again. Things get complicated when the, gargoyle attack, when the gargoyles attack a small town to retrieve the remains of another of their kind. And Diana is kidnapped by a horseback-riding gargoyle who appears to have gotten a bit of a little human fever, much to his gargoyle mate's annoyance. It is up to Bowley, the town police, and a few desert bikers led by James Rieger, played by a young Scott Glenn in his only third film, to rescue Diana and stop the gargoyles from waging war against man. I I was too young to see this film when it first aired. Well, I shouldn't say <laughs> I was too young to remember it. I, I may have seen it. Knowing my dad, it's very possible that I saw this in 1972. Yeah, you've been what, like... Two. <laughs> One. <laughs> I first saw this film, and I'll go ahead and tell this story. I don't know if I've told this story on the show before. If I have, it's been a long time ago. I probably saw this film, I want to say, it would have to have been on a repeat in the late 70s, probably early 80s. So I'm guessing 82, 83. I don't have a distinct recollection of watching the movie other than remembering my dad making a crack about the size of the eggs and how hard the gargoyle woman must have had laying them. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like your dad. (laughs) What I do remember is a dream I had shortly after watching this film. It was a nightmare I had where the gargoyles played a significant role. This was a very detailed dream. I remember like a, a sort of splash screen with a credit screen and everything, except the credit screen came from a toy uh, film 
thing that we had. I don't know if you had any of these or if you remember them. I think they were Fisher Price. They looked like like an eight millimeter film projector camera, and you took a large yellow cartridge and stuck it in this thing, and then you would you you'd wind it on the side and look through the viewer and watch the film that was on the cartridge. Yeah, I remember that. And we had like some. We had some Mickey Mouse cartoon or something like that, and it had like this, this red screen with the 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 logo or whatever. So my dream started with that red screen with all the little credits and everything, and then the other little flashes that I remember this dream. One is like the car driving down, like looking out the windshield, where all you see is the headlights and the and the gravel road, and then in my dream, a gargoyle shows up, jumps out in front of the car, and. Very vivid. I mean, to this day, I remember these moments in this dream. And, you know, this is now some 40 years later. <laughs> that dream alone kept me from revisiting this film. The first time I revisited this film was only about five years ago. I I was just so traumatized by that nightmare that I I just, I never sought this film out for to rewatch it. So when I finally did a few years ago, it was kind of like this was going to be like this was a big moment for me. That was a big deal because like this is the movie <laughs> you know, who, awesome. who that brought on a nightmare that I could remember 40 years later. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that uh, it's the car scene that uh, kind of st- was the feature in, in your dream and not uh, – the the gargoyle at the foot of the bed wrapping his claws around <laughs> around the 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 footboard and then peeking yeah. up. Uh, I'm not saying that wasn't in there too. I'm just re- <laughs> recalling the the flashes that I still remember to this day. Uh, this is still only the second time I've watched this film. Wow! In the back of my mind, sort of that that still to this day that sort of childhood fear of this movie because of that dream oh no i i, I get the same way uh, about uh, of all things uh, v oh really uh, for for me and very similarly and interestingly enough the uh, the gargoyles kind of give off the same vibe it, it there was the scene in v where the uh, um the woman uh, the the one girl is giving birth to the two uh the two kids that she's having with the uh, from from the one of the visitors, um, right. and the the second baby, it, she's being delivered C-section, and the second baby is a lizard baby, and it kind of stands up out of the womb, and it making a really weird kind of vibrating breathing right. noise that was super creepy. And again, it was one of those I put off forever seeing it again. And, <laughs> and when I finally broke down and rewatched it and saw that the baby looks more like a bell pepper with teeth, <laughs> the, the, the lizard baby just did, didn't look real at all. And I'm like... The, the sound was still creepy as hell, but the thing right. just didn't didn't reverberate with me quite the second time. I'm like, I've been terrified of this for years. I am happy to say that neither the, the last time I watched this film or this time watching this film, thus far anyway, I have not had any nightmares uh, because of them. So. About the gargoyles here in the film, 
Um, this film is one of the earliest credited works of makeup artist Stan Winston, who, of course, makeup effect wizard. Um, he got his and the other artists credit in the film by demanding it of the producers. Really? Um, yeah, he said he'd, he said he'd, he demanded he'd get credit or he'd walk, which is a bold statement from a guy that prior to this was just, you know, an apprentice. Quite, but uh, obviously effective. And uh, I mean, for a made-for-TV movie, kudos to him for what there was done. Yeah, prior to this, the makeup staff were largely considered craftsmen or technicians. Uh, this mentality largely came from the 50s and 60s when studios were cranking out sci-fi and horror films as fast as they could, letting the quality of the effects in the creatures and the reputations of those created them uh, degrade. Stan Winston figured there would be no movie without the gargoyles, so he and his team should get credit. The day after Stan Winston threatened to walk out, producer Rick Rosenberg assured him that the credit issue had been resolved and that his and Sonny Berman's name would be listed in the credits along with Dell Armstrong's. Uh, this worked out even better for Winston and the effects crew as only those with screen credit could be nominated for an Emmy. When Gargoyles was nominated and then won in the category of makeup, Stan Winston took home a statuette right along with Sonny Berman and Dell Armstrong. And this demand and the what transpired afterwards has been largely credited with helping legitimize the artist and the industry going forward. Good for them. So it was a it was a big deal. So Stan Winston not only has made his mark by being an amazing uh, makeup effects artist, but by <laughs> pretty much giving them their due. <laughs> uh, in which case, one could probably argue at this point uh, led to probably the rebirth of actually investing in 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 decent effects in TV. Absolutely, no, oh, in TV and movies it, as Cer well. Certain. I mean, like I was saying, through the fifties and sixties, they were just like, we just need a film. You know, just I don't care. Just make a monster. Put uh, make him make him slimy. Make him green. Make you know, just paint put put paint oh, you on mean him. Like He's fine. The, uh, monster with a gorilla suit and a space helmet that one uh, of us likes quite a bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Could just like Roman the Roman. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't couldn't resist. That was a. Way too big an opportunity. <laughs> As he stares down at me from my I wall. know, because I know exactly <laughs> where he sits. <laughs> Pros and cons for gargoyles are the gargoyles. And that they I, I put them both in the pro and the con. Uh, be, because the outfits, uh, particularly the face makeup, w was astounding. Mm -hmm. But because they get as much screen time as they actually do, and in broad daylight, no less, um, one can see the zipper <laughs> after a after uh. a bit, or or the the oversized gloves that fit into the uh, thing. So, um, as amazing as they are, they do have their flaws. But again, 1972 made-for-TV movie. So consider the budget. Consider the fact that this is the first time somebody's put their foot down and said, damn it, I want credit for the work I'm, be I'm doing because <laughs> right. this shit's hard. 
<laughs> exactly. No, I think it was creative in that how they actually sort of hid the, uh, you're talking about the zipper right. down the back, but I thought they, they were creative that they made these things reptilian, but they still had a sort of um, elements of fur mm-hmm. here and there. And so they gave them like a ridge back. Yeah. And in a fantastic way to hide the connection where you get them into this thing. I thought that was really clever. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, just because I know where it is didn't mean that they didn't do a good <laughs> job hiding it. But, uh, but right. yeah, uh, when, when, you're, when your figures have to stand up, it, it, there, there's a reason so many special effects happen in the dark. Because uh, <laughs> darkness and clouds hide stuff. <laughs> and, and these right. had to stand up in sunlight, and they still looked pretty good. I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all. They really did. I mean, if these one of these things suddenly showed up in a dark alley, uh, yeah, I'd be leaving a mess. <laughs> I, I feel a little sad for the winged ones because their wings were a little. <laughs> the wings were a little, a little sad. lackluster, yeah. little sad looking. Yeah, and, and it is a um, it is a little sad that uh, I I actually kind of had an appreciation for the fact that they actually managed to incorporate what little we actually learn about gargoyles. Like most of what you learn about the gargoyles is in the very clever, almost documentary like beginning of the film where they go through essentially a history of what a gargoyle is. They're the minions of the devil. They come out every like 600 years uh, to mm-hmm. compete for control of Earth, um, because the devil wants wants the Earth too, but they're gonna, he needs his minions to take it over. Um, all that said, aside from that, they actually managed to incorporate into the time that we spend with the gargoyles that winged gargoyles are breeders. The right. others are more like the drones in a hive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually create a society with very little, few words, but you get a really solid idea of how the hierarchy mm-hmm. works and what's going on between them. Because it was a, a very important deal that they point out, like, oh, we've had new births, and they, they're they winged, you know, like, they're winged breeders. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Well, and you mentioned... That tells me everything you need to know. And you mentioned the fur element, um, and it... In this case, with again, with what little that you ha- had to go on, um, if you're fur lined, you're probably female, because mm. that's the, uh, the 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 female breeder with the wings is the one with the fur. Right. Um, there were other ones with fur; they weren't winged, so you just assume that that's at least a female of that type. Right. I, I like the fact that you know not all gargoyles look the same right. either. You know, their facial features and things like that. It seemed like they, they all had their little own characteristics and everything. I, I, I really appreciated that. And that's probably where some of the uh, the effects, you know, accolades can go because it wasn't just, oh, keep cranking out the same mold over and over again. I actually would love to look into it and I should have maybe, it didn't, it's occurring to me literally now as we're having a conversation. So I will forgive myself for not researching this a little bit more, but being a fan of the Disney Gargoyles um, cartoon series, I actually kind of wonder how much they might've even taken some of the stuff from this film because Mm. 
there are so many elements in the types of gargoyles and then the facial features and all that that I can actually attribute directly to some of the characters that were in that cartoon series. I yeah, that's a really good question. I I have to think because of as far as major motion picture or television whatever a depiction of a gargoyle is actually fairly limited. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously tons of gargoyles in sculpture and in art and paintings, sculptures, reliefs. But as far as like gargoyles in like modern art, <laughs> uh, cinema, whatever, it pop culture, it's fairly limited. So I have to think that this film would be a huge influence. I would, I would think so. I mean, like literally, I, I, I had to laugh a little bit because uh, I mean I've been rewatching the Gargoyles cartoon series with my son, um, and when the skeleton uh, that the the old man is showing uh, the professor there, uh, when he pops it out and they first pull it back, like the the one I'm like. The beak shape on the one looks like Brooklyn. It, exactly, it Brooklyn? I went. It's Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's a full size Brooklyn skeleton. Oh man, sorry, dude. What happened? But <laughs> but yes, exactly. Uh, and and actually, uh, the main gargoyle, the the one, uh, there are definitely facial features in there that popped up on the Goliath character. The mm-hmm. brow, the, the the positioning of the horns, and all that, yeah. Now that's be it'd be really interesting to talk to some of the creators on sure. that to, to to confirm that. But I I have to think it's true. Well, right, and this would have hit about the right time. Uh, you have to figure the the creative elements that did that cartoon series. This was probably something they saw when they were really little too. So maybe maybe they had maybe a nightmare. They did. <laughs> Now, I had forgotten that uh, Bernie Casey's voice wasn't used, that they uh, they dubbed it after the fact. Uh, it's a little bit of a shame. Uh, Bernie Casey, I think, has got a great voice. I, I wonder what it would have sounded like. They took Vic Perrin, and they did kind of uh, throw an effect on top yes. of it to give it kind of an odd timber. Uh, there was a reverb timber. in his voice. Yeah, but I I would be very interested to know what Bernie Casey would have done with it, or how he how he portrayed it, and 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 what his voice would sound like coming from the character with that effect and everything. Yeah, because you would think uh, again, I'm I'm tainted by the cartoon, but the thought of a really deep voice um, would really kind of be appropriate. I would almost think. Yeah, apparently producers decided to do it because they they didn't think um, Casey's voice sounded right coming out of the character. But it's like, well, you're you're throwing in an effect on top of it anyway. Just throw a different effect on it to give you what you want, but let the actor do his thing. Yeah, maybe the sound uh, designer didn't uh, fight for his credit (laughs) (laughs) as hard as the others did. (laughs) Yeah, very possible. Other than being memorable for being the gargoyles, the story itself, outside of like we were saying that they were able to sort of create this mythos, um, which I really liked. I liked the idea of this sort of forgotten history that it happened so long ago. And it, it's it's kind of one of these things that it's so terrible that it's just easier to forget right. than to, to remember. 
And so every five, 600 years, man has to fight for dominance on the earth with the gargoyles. And then we just forgot that it happened because it was 600 years ago and it was too horrible to, you don't want to talk about that. Uh, I, I love that idea. But as far as the movie and the story goes, it is really a, I don't know how to best describe it. I mean, you feel like you're really watching an abridged version of something. It is, it is very quick. This happens. It happens within like two days, a day and a half. And, and, and it's over like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Much like we just got discussing with embryo, especially since this one was for TV it has that hint of like, could this have been thought of as an opportunity to go to series on something? I mean, you left the uh, you left it open at the end to continue the story in some fashion. It just ends. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it just it just begins and it just ends. Everything happens so quickly and people kind of jump to a lot of conclusions rather quickly. <laughs> people accept things very quickly. Sometimes I like that. I, I find the the character that doesn't believe despite all the evidence, I find tiresome. And I'm glad that this film did not go down that route. They didn't have anyone like that. Once the situation presented itself and it became clear that there is something else going on this isn't desert bikers this isn't just some gang you know there's something happening everyone's like okay we're on board let's solve this problem thank you (laughs) (laughs) way to be in the moment (laughs) yeah well that's exactly what you're waiting for if this movie were made by if this was any other movie and it had been made even more recently you would still have like the overtur the the uh, claw marks on the car and the overturned station wagon, and you'd still have the town sheriff going. There's no such thing as gargoyles. Yeah. <laughs> this is just a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah, no. While we're on the topic uh, of people taking certain things at face value, though, and I don't know why I'm going here necessarily, but I guess because the politically charged world that we live in. I couldn't help but become overly fixated on the scene where the police uh, became hyper-insistent that the bikers um, Mm. (laughs) had done wrong because they had decided to become basically judge, jury, and executioner right then and there. And, And while I realized this was a far simpler and this is supposed to be back water nowhere and they're kind of like yeah this this police force is probably not really on their game because they don't have any game (laughs) um but still seeing the way that went down the whole they're guilty because we say so (laughs) kind of thing well they're guilty because they're they're kids and they're bikers and they're just they don't have jobs they're just bums that go and tear around the desert in their bikes and route through this recently burned down garage so obviously they're they're no good yeah but that whole notion of we believe it so it's true (laughs) 
right. and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna act on it because I say so because I'm the cop and I get to. Hard not to let a little chill go to, uh, uh, up your spine <laughs> as you realize starts to feel like this is just the way that always happens. But yeah, I, yeah, things haven't changed that right, much. And right, and uh, at no point was gargoyles trying to make a political statement, but it can't. I couldn't help but attribute a bit of of that to that, and it was actually, I don't know, I I actually felt a little uplifted. Uh, by the fact that uh, the the doctor and his daughter were actually trying to openly fight against the ignorance. I'm like, that yeah. was kind yeah. of refreshing. And in 1972, when would that have happened? Yeah, the fact that they, they both knew the truth, or at least they knew what wasn't the truth, even though they didn't really have the answers. Right, They but they knew it wasn't them. Right, and they were willing to to stand there and argue with. Oh, uh, granted, the 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 doctor took a little more conservative uh, stance to not just kind of throw throw them in there in front of the cops right away. But uh, but no, I, I applaud that the, that they had her continue that notion of. I know we're in the middle of something very weird going down, but I still gotta do what I think is right, and that was kind of cool. Oh, let's talk about a little bit about the motivation. What exactly, oh, Bernie Casey, the lead gargoyle. I don't know what to call him, gargoyle. They let's just call him, him gargoyle. gargoyle. <laughs> His motivation for, um, first of all, very much cooler than seeing a gargoyle galloping through the desert on a horse. I don't know who came up with that idea, but man, kudos to them. <laughs> that was awesome. Smacked a bit of uh, uh, Planet of the Apes. A little bit. Maybe it doesn't make any sense to have a flying gargoyle riding a horse, but it looked badass. <laughs> it did. It looked very cool. <laughs> anyway, so he kidnaps Diana, yeah. and you can tell he's got a fixation. You know, she's unconscious, and he's sort of... If, if this weren't a made-for-TV movie, I think we'd see some serious lines being crossed by him he's effectively molesting her uh and then but later claims that oh he has no interest in humans i'm thinking uh-huh <laughs> yeah you do uh, yeah no the, there's the whole beauty and the beast uh ca- kind of moment here at where it's all one-sided by the beast but <laughs> found that a bit curious and maybe that was the only reason to do it is just to create some sort of um create a little bit of drama and give some motivation to everyone to be further motivation to to find the gargoyles i suppose um motivation to find the gargoyles but i i think it they they were i i don't know if it was the right outlet to do it but this was an opportunity for the humans to interact with the gargoyles so that we could get more of the gargoyle story like i don't think they allowed themselves uh, in in the writing of this to give the gargoyles a, a sense of their own society while they had a hierarchy kind of thought through and they had the looks for how the how the gargoyles fit into that hierarchy but I don't know if they were prepared to kind of give a sense of them as their own society so this was how you got to get any sense of that was by having an interaction between one of the humans and a gargoyle, mm. I guess. 
<laughs> Possibly. Well, and it gives them a chance. It it gave the gargoyle a chance to monologue a little sure. bit and be the evil one. You know, he got to do his speeches about how his people were now going to take over the earth and this time it's going to work and we're going to wipe out man and all that. Um, so they're, it gives the opportunity for them to come out as the bad guys. I actually also appreciated the devious quality of it. Like he was selling it to Diana as just educate, uh, educate us, teach us to read, teach us um, to understand. Cause it felt like he was trying to reach out to the humans in a way so that he could learn more about them to be appreciative in, instead of the actual motivation, which I think is, I we need to learn from you so we know how to destroy you. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, to be a better right. enemy. Right. right, but I appreciated, especially since they're supposed to be patterned after the devil, I kind of liked that uh, that sense of him tricking her into something mm. here trust me enough to give me the information that i need so that i can destroy you all without me telling you that i'm going to destroy you all <laughs> right uh, possibly maybe i just found him with his you know fixation on her hair <laughs> and you know, kind of groping her and then the the you know not knowing what personal space is uh, <laughs> and constantly violating hers uh it was just it, it was definitely the creep factor in there. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right. In a different venue, in a different time, that would have gone completely wrong in other ways. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Even for a TV movie, I kind of thought his uh, hands were a little even roamier than uh, <laughs> you would expect. Yes, no, like when he first picks her up after she's passed, or uh, he's about to pick her up, she's passed out from being terrified. And yeah, he, mm-hmm. he he explores a little more than you would have thought. Yeah, starts playing with like the uh, the tie on her halter in the mm-hmm. front. He gets, starts flicking it around on her chest. I'm like, dude, is he gonna? I mean, this is this is primetime television. He can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and he, he got a little handsy. Well, he even got a little handsy with he got a little. Uh, did you see notice at one point when uh, you know his mate? comes up and you can tell she's not happy with his you know sort of fixation with this human or whatever so he comforts her he gives her a little hug and everything and when she goes to walk off he gives her a little swat on the butt <laughs> yeah I did notice that <laughs> well you know devil's minion and all <laughs> yeah. hey, he's clearly a womanizer with the, the humans why not with his own species you can see why this movie still exist today why people still kind of seek this one out why it's available on dvd or why it even unfortunately doesn't get much airtime on television i don't know (laughs) i don't think anymore but you could see why it did and why it's kind of stuck with people because despite the fact that the story is very basic us versus them kind of uh base under siege a little bit um save the race that sort of stuff it's very yes. simple, but the visuals certainly help give it a, a longevity, but it's just, it's kind of one of those, it's just sort of like a fun, easy watch. 
It is. Uh, I mean, it's certainly not daunting at, at its total of a uh, one hour and 14 minute runtime. I mean, it, it, it barely makes the threshold of movie. And it makes a really good sort of, if you, I know it sounds a little funny to use this term, uh, but it's like the family friendly horror film. It is. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, because it's got the right amount of creep factor. Uh, it's a good one to kind of test the waters with your kids. What kind of what kind of stuff are you made of? Can you can you watch this <laughs> and, and not not wet the bed that night? <laughs> How much more fun can I have you with you later? <laughs> yeah, it, it's the dip your toe in the water horror movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is this is definitely entry level, but uh, <laughs> they they may love it or they may have a nightmare from it and not watch it for forty years. <laughs> you know, potato, potato. Uh, <laughs> I thoroughly love that. That's the your takeaway from this after admitting that that this terrified you as a kid because you probably saw it, and it is. It's very much a litmus test of when are you ready for more mature material because this was probably introduced to you just before you were probably ready for some more mature material. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely needed another year or two before I could <laughs> watch something like this comfortably. Yeah, see, uh, I, I have a son that uh, was terrified of the bears in, in, a, uh, in the uh, Rudolph shiny New Year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe gargoyles isn't for him uh, yeah i could probably get away with it now but yeah it, the, the, it would not have been a six or seven kind of uh, <laughs> kind of appropriate but yes this would be that film at least you know if you terrified them they get over it pretty quick <laughs> after all this time i mean it's 49 years old uh it's still a damned enjoyable little movie it's it, it really like is. you said it's it, it's basic it's neat it's tidy it has the right amount of creep factor um the uh the costuming the makeup is actually pretty superb for something of 1972 i mean yeah it wouldn't float today but right. but i mean if you can put yourself in the mindset of this is that old yeah mm-hmm. it look it looks pretty good you just have to t- deal with the fact that it just kind of it starts and it stops <laughs> <laughs> and you don't get any flying until the end that's that's right. the bummer part like yeah it's cool that the the gargoyle rides in a, on a horse um but you go you got wings <laughs> you couldn't have swooped in <laughs> Yeah, there's implied flying. You hear you hear the uh, flapping of leather wings mm-hmm. occasionally, but you don't get to see anything till the very end. And the very end, it it does look like someone being hauled up by a crane. Right. Oh, <laughs> especially as he's carrying his mate, like literally from under her armpits, <laughs> and right. she's just dangling down, and so are his feet. Mm-hmm. Like, like almost the wings are just kind of flatter, fluttering above his head. <laughs> yes. Yeah, bar- barely flapping enough to bring anything aloft. Yeah, that's a it's a little it's almost unfortunate. I, and, and again, uh, li- limitations of what could be done for TV in 1972 on whatever budget they had. So, yeah, 
I, I appreciate that they did it. I have to think that they chose to do that to give the potential for a sure. sequel. Because it would have been easier to just destroy all the gargoyles and, ah, we're safe. Right. So doing this, I had to think they were thinking, just in case <laughs> this does well, we might get another shot. And I'm sad that it didn't happen, if I'm honest. I would have loved to have seen this kind of spawn a franchise so we could have seen even, well, it could have gone either right. way. It could have gone, oh, okay, we're going to get a sequel and... Uh, here's a little bit more money for the effects so we can have more gargoyles or something like that. Or it went, oh, that went really good. Let's do another one. Uh, this time your budget's going to be a little smaller. <laughs> yeah, I, th- this is really a careful what you wish for <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I sit there and say that, I think of all the other times I've seen sequels and I realize, oh, but the budgets got smaller, didn't they? <laughs> when, when it came to monster movies yeah. and they started doing sequels, all the Godzilla movies, hey, that did really well. Make another one. Oh, you can't have that much money. <laughs> we don't think your sequel will do as well, so we're also not going to give you enough money to make it do yeah. as well. <laughs> or may- Or maybe it'll do just as well as the other one, but we can make more if you don't spend as much. <laughs> Gargoyles, whether you're traumatized by it as a child or not, it's it's still a, it's a great it watch. Is. Absolutely worth digging up. And available on Prime right now, so easy to watch. Uh, Gargoyles is all over the internet, too. You can find a copy somewhere to watch. <laughs> Seek it out if you haven't seen it in a while, or if you've never seen it, I would strongly recommend it. Uh, it's, a, it's a great little snapshot of 1972 television and 1970s horror. And and if you're anyone that worked on uh, the Disney version of Gargoyles and were influenced by this in any way, please feel free to write us and comment accordingly. Yes, that's going to, I think that's going to start some research and seeing if there's a few creators out on Twitter or something that I might be able to reach out to. At least Brooklyn. I, I got to find out if uh, Brooklyn was inspired <laughs> by the beat uh, gargoyles from this movie. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it. Um, thank you very much for listening, Tom. Thank you very much once again for joining me and watching this fun Always film. It was a good time. We will be back next time with another MST3K Unrift. This one, another one of the popular Mystery Science Theater episodes. We're going to look at, I don't know what year it came out, but we're going to look at the classic and the the final episode of uh, Joel Robinson, Mitchell. I have never, ever seen this unrift so i'm very curious to see how this one pans out Uh, i'm not afraid to say a little nervous about it (laughs) (laughs) it is joe don baker this is (laughs) this is one that was it it was suggested through the socials i did ask if there was any particular uh one that someone might think would be they'd like to hear us discuss on you know the unrift version and this was one of the first ones that came up and it came up just the way you expected it was just a reply that said Mitchell! (laughs) (laughs) And therefore, we have taken on the challenge. So we'll be back in a couple weeks to do that. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. See ya.